Why don't we go ahead and start in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let's ask Our Lady's intercession as we pray. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our light, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee to be cried, poor banished children of Eve, to thee be the sin of our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. And then, most gracious advocate, in eyes of mercy towards us, and after this, our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. In it, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary, pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So once again, ladies, it's a joy to be with you here um, for our retreat. And the theme of the retreat uh, for greater things you were born. Normally, I get the title of the retreat from the sisters and I generally do my own thing. But I'm going to be obedient this year, make sister happy, and actually kind of talk about the topic at hand. Um, I currently, for the past year, year and a half or so, have worked at Notre Dame Seminary in New Orleans, uh, working with young men uh, who are preparing for the priesthood, uh, but for a number of years, and even today, I still do a fair amount of work with women, particularly young women. I was campus minister at the University of Louisiana for about 11 years, uh, and really in doing spiritual direction, accompaniment formation, trying to help them to get to know their identity, help overcome insecurity, overthinking, fear, and to form them to be strong, balanced, and free women. I'm particularly very blessed over the years to do a fair amount of work in helping young women discern vocations to the religious life. And so it's given me a greater understanding and a greater appreciation for what Pope St. John Paul II calls the feminine genius. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that tomorrow because tomorrow is his feast day. Uh, We're very excited about that. And so I do have a great desire uh, to promote this idea of the feminine genius. And I believe that our culture and our church probably more than just about anything need strong, confident Catholic women who know who they are and are willing to act in the world and the church. And so what I want to do is in this idea of being born for greater things, I want to talk about five different female archetypes that we are familiar with, uh, five titles or archetypes that I think express the feminine genius and the great strength and the greatness of the heart of a woman, um, and express that call to greatness uh, that women are born into. And so each of the five talks that we're going to address over the course of our time together, we're going to be focused on one of these five archetypes. And they're all sort of interconnected, as I think you'll see as we go on. One kind of bleeds into or is connected to the other. 
And of course, all of them can find their roots in Our Lady, uh, Mary, who is the ultimate archetype of what it means to be a woman who was born for great things. But this, this retreat is not going to be so much a reflection on Our Lady, even though we're certainly going to do that. The key isn't just for us to reflect on A, who Our Lady is and how she typifies these different archetypes, B, how we can come to understand them sort of abstractly, and most importantly is how you women, each individual woman, can and is called to live these out in their own life. I'm not going to be here as a priest trying to mansplain these things to you. You understand it a lot better than I do. And so while there may not be a lot of practicality, because I want to be able to present ideas that I believe that in your own prayer and your own experience uh, can be able to meditate on and to find some fruit in your own life to see how the Lord might be calling you to live this out in your own life. And, And so we're going to really try to get to what does the heart of a woman who lives these archetypes out look like and how can we imitate them? So what I want to do is start with, I guess, a great, possibly the greatest female archetype. And it's one that is quite overlooked uh, in the church today and I think even in the life of Mary. And so, as I said, I've been interested in the formation of women. And, and so, even though I don't listen to it all the time, uh, I like Sister Miriam Heidland's podcast, Abiding Together. How many of y'all have listened to that? All right, we've got some Sister Miriam fans here. And before they went on their little hiatus, uh, Sister and the two ladies that she does the podcast with did this series on these, these important female archetypes daughter, sister, bride, and mother. And I've always thought this is important in trying to help women understand this, particularly that foundational archetype or identity as a daughter. We're going to see this idea sort of uh, cycle through a lot of what we talk about over our time together. But what I did is, is, is I realized that I've, I'd worked with or seen a lot of women who knew their identity as beloved daughters. They knew that God the Father loved them, cherished them, delighted in them, but still lacked a certain confidence. They were confident in who they were as a daughter, but there was a certain other level of confidence that simply wasn't there. And so in my working with uh, these young women and talking to them, I realized that there was another archetype that had been left out. In fact, I called Sister Miriam. I said, Sister Miriam, you you left out one of these archetypes. You should do a show on it. Of course, she didn't listen to me, but that's how it works. And it's one that I think is so intimately tied to this theme of greatness and the confidence that comes with it. And it is the archetype of woman as queen. Woman as queen, expressing as confidence, the queen who knows who she is, who has self-possession, 
the one who has authority, governance, whom other respects. In a certain sense, you might even say it's sort of a fulfillment of the other archetypes that we've mentioned. And so we can see great kings and queens in scripture, we see great queens throughout the history of the church and throughout the history of culture. But most importantly, we look to Mary. The last decade of the rosary is the coronation of Mary as queen of heaven and earth. And so all these other queens in scripture, like Queen Esther, are all pointing towards Our Lady, who is the ultimate queen, the fulfillment. It is her final title. And so what really sort of made me realize this is all these other titles that we have for Mary, as the, the daughter Zion, as the, the bride, as the virgin, as the mother of God, we apply these to women. She's a good mother. She is a following Christ as a consecrated virgin. She is, knows her daughterhood. But we rarely ever say she's a queen like Mary is. She exhibits those same characteristics. Why don't we do that? We do it for the other ones, but we seem to neglect that. And so this is what I want to talk about today. We need women in the culture and the church who realize their dignity as queens. The authority that is given to the queen and are confident and strong and are willing to lead. Willing to lead. And so this is what we're going to explore today as our first talk, um, hopefully, uh, to get some insights in this and to build into the other archetypes we're going to talk about over the rest of our time together. So what does it mean to say that a woman is queen? Queen and king, these are terms that we use a lot, even in the church. We're going to be celebrating the solemnity of Christ the King soon, but still are sort of foreign to our mentality, which is so formed in our democratic society. We read it in history books, we talk about queens and kings in the Middle Ages, and we see them in movies. But what does it really mean to be a queen? What is essential? to queenship. And so as I was sort of doing research for this, I found a quote from none other than John Paul II. Very appropriate, again, that we're going to be talking about him so much tomorrow in his Letter to Women. It's a beautiful document that he wrote, his Letter to Women. And he is looking at Mary as the highest expression of the feminine genius and a feminine greatness. And this is what he says, quote, The church sees in Mary the highest expression of the feminine genius, and she finds in her a source of constant inspiration. Mary called herself the handmaid of the Lord. Through obedience to the word of God, she accepted her lofty, yet not easy vocation as wife and mother in the family of Nazareth. Putting herself at God's service, she also put herself at the service of others, the service of love. Precisely through this service, 
Mary was able to experience in her life a mysterious but authentic reign. R-E-I-G-N, not R-A-I-N. It is not by chance that she is invoked as queen of heaven and earth. The entire community of believers thus invokes her. Many nations and peoples call upon her as their queen. For her, to reign is to serve. Her service is to reign. Unquote. So, what do we see in Mary, and I think in queenship in general, the queen is one who is called to reign. To reign. What does that mean? The queen is the one who reigns. And of course, to a great degree, we could apply this to men as kings. I'm not doing the men's retreat. I'm doing the women's retreat. And so, where does this word come from? Well, of course, reignum means a king, from the Latin regere, which means to rule, to guide, to keep straight. We get our English word regal or regulate from it. And so, to reign means to rule, to guide, to keep others and themselves on the straight and narrow. And so the queen, first and foremost, and this is important, is one who is self-governing. She knows her value. She's able to have control of herself. She carries herself like a queen, not in some some stuck-up manner, but she has this great self-control and composure. Her heart is her castle. Her body is her castle. It's her domain. And she realizes her call. She realizes her value and her dignity. And therefore, her behavior, the way she carries herself, the way she governs herself, is reflected that she knows the dignity. But as much as there's that self-governance and the self-control, it's there so that she is able to lead and guide and serve others. The queen has authority over other people, particularly those who have been given to her and she's been tasked with. Retreats that I've given before, I talk about John Paul II's meditation on givenness. He talks about how people are given to us and when they're given to us to love and to guide and to have authority over we are tasked with them and so the queen is one who realizes her dignity the authority over others that she has been given and she has confidence in exercising that authority Confidence in exercising authority. No fear, first of all, in accepting it. She's not like uh, some king or some queen or the person who's up to be king or queen next and who's out hiding because they don't want that authority. It's too much responsibility. No. And even accepting the authority, there is no fear of getting trapped in her head, afraid of 
making a decision, afraid of failing. No, when you have authority and you are ruling over people, you have got to make decisions. You've got to tell people where to go or else they will not trust you. The queen is prudent and wise and accepts responsibility for the decisions she makes and for the decisions that end in failure. And for me, I think this is the the, the big distinction between the archetype of daughter and the archetype of queen. Daughter may be very secure in her identity, God the Father's love for her, but she does not yet have authority over others. She is not able to truly reign. This comes in time whenever she steps into and accepts this office with the training that comes from it, the maturation. But this authority must be given. It must be passed on, and she must accept it. No daughter is ever going to be forced to accept the queenship, but the scepter is passed. The crown has to be placed on the head. For the daughter to become a queen, to have that authority to reign over others, and and I think you could also make here this distinction between queen and princess. The princess is the daughter of the queen or the king, but the princess has no authority, no decision-making power. And again, I'm not trying to, to get into this or reflect too much on it. Why are American girls obsessed with the Disney princesses but don't seem to be interested in queens? Why is Disney interested in promoting princesses but not in promoting queens. I'm not saying there's any sort of nefarious activity behind there, but it's something to reflect on. So, how is it, though, that this authority, this reigning over others, this office is supposed to be lived out? Well, John Paul II is clear. He says, to reign is to serve. Service is a form of authority. The queen has it and is called to use it, but in service to others, to those who have been given to her, to her subjects. Always, of course, maintaining boundaries. She's the queen. She's not going to allow others to abuse her or take advantage of her, but she is there to serve. So in the letter to women, John Paul II continues... He says, this is the way in which authority needs to be understood, both in the family and in society, in the church. Each person's fundamental vocation is revealed in this reigning. Each person, everyone is called to reign. For each person has been created in the image of the one who is Lord of heaven and earth and called to be his adopted son or daughter in Christ. Man is the only creature on earth which God willed for its own sake, as the Second Vatican Council teaches. It significantly adds that man cannot fully find himself except through a sincere gift of self. Unquote. So what does this mean? Several things to note. First of all, reigning is tied to our dignity. 
to being created in the image and likeness of God. And part of that image and likeness of God, besides you know having an intellect and a will and being able to live in communion with others, is the dominion given over creation. But John Paul, also, John Paul II also says, says that this reigning, this authority, is founded on what? The fact that we're in relation to God the Father and we are considered through baptism adopted sons and daughters. It's the sons and daughters who become kings and queens. But most importantly, this service we're called to entails the genuine gift of self and love. In fact, I think he also implies that we come to find our identity through it. That in order to be able to really know what it means to be a son or a daughter, we live that out, and then by living it out and giving ourselves, as we're called to, then we sort of grow into that kingship or queenship. And so the queen is the one who has authority, but is pouring herself out constantly to others, to the poor, those in need. She's just and fair in her decisions and treatment. And so we can see a great example of this, I think, of Our Lady, the visitation. Spirit comes upon her. What's the first thing she does? She goes and she doesn't say, hey, Joseph, I need you to to come bring me breakfast in bed because I'm going to be the mother of God. No, she goes to serve. She goes to serve Elizabeth. And that's what is the great example. Or you look at the example of the saintly queens that we have in the church. And Elizabeth of Hungary and all the different ones like that. What are they doing? They have a heart for the poor. Their power that they've been given. They've been given authority. They've been given power. But it's used to help those in need. To serve. Now, what happens when service and gift of self are no longer at the heart of the power or the authority of the queen. Well, quite clear. If you're not interested in giving of yourself, you are interested in having yourself served in selfishness. And so this queen who reigns out of this, her authority serves her own narcissism, the need for power, attention, control, She's not acting out of her abundance of her identity, but of a neediness, a brokenness, a deep insecurity and fear. And she's going to be intimidated by others who pose a threat to her. That, 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 that she's going to want to gain attention and power from them. And uses her authority to demand love and respect. And often can be very manipulative to get this. Thus, the authority, the power, becomes perverted, becomes twisted. Not used for the good, but for use for one's own self. Examples of this. Well, let's go back to Disney. This is maybe why they don't want to promote Disney queens. Maleficent, the evil queen, a terribly narcissistic woman who is threatened by everybody else, all the other beautiful young princesses in the kingdom. That's how it works. And so she's there to destroy beauty and innocence. Or, for the young people here, or maybe some of the old people, the Queen Bees from Mean Girls. 
the queen bee, who's the popular girl at school, who has all these people who follow her, but she manipulates and destroys. Why? I have her own narcissistic insecurity. It makes for a funny movie, but it makes for a terrible friend. It makes for a terrible friend. But they're working out of what? You would think out of their own pride, but no, it's not pride at all. It's insecurity, it's fear. It's the desire to be known and seen and loved. Maybe there's some deep family wounds there. But instead of getting the healing that they need, they use the power and authority to manipulate and pull others down so that they can feel better about themselves. The real queen does not demand respect, but commands it. Commands it from her subjects. She's not vengeful. She's merciful. She's just. People want to follow her. They want to be in her presence, especially men. Think of the stories of the knights who go on these great errands to win the honor of the queen. And from the king, too. A woman who is a queen is going to command respect from men in general, from the king. He's not going to be threatened by her authority. He's going to encourage her to make decisions, give her power, listen to her counsel. The king reigns alongside the queen. Psalm 45, verse 9, At your right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. Jesus the king reigning with Mary, his mother, the queen. He listens to her, as we're going to see it. I think the greatest example of the wedding of Cana, where she exercises her queenship. Because in the ancient Near East, and I just kind of understood this in doing my research, uh, at the time of Christ and above, kings, these potentates, had many wives. And they were all battling for his ear. And so he would often have his mother, I think I'm pronouncing it correctly in the Hebrew, Gebirah, as the council. So Bathsheba was the one who offered counsel to Solomon. Solomon didn't listen to all of his, his harem. He was going to listen to his mom. because She had prudence and wisdom. That's the queen who is reigning. And here, though, in this idea of the queen mother, the Gebirah, is connected another great archetype that we're not going to look at exclusively, but is going to tie into almost everything we say. And that is the connection of queen and mother. A queen, those who she has authority over are her subjects, those who've been given to her, but they're also by nature her children. The maternity of the queen, the mother of her people, whether they be her biological children that are given to her, or others, her other children, those given to her, those who follow her. She has space in her heart, in the, ca- the castle of her heart, for those she loves. And John Paul II talks about this specifically again in the next part of this letter to women. The maternal reign of Mary, he says, consists in this. She who was in all her being a gift for her son has become a gift for the sons and daughters of the whole human race, awakening profound trust in those who seek her guidance along the difficult paths of life on the way to their definitive and transcendent destiny. 
Each one reaches this final goal by fidelity to his or her own vocation. The goal provides meaning and direction for the earthly labors of men and women alike. Unquote. Now, I thought of one of the sort of famous quotes from St. Therese, who we're going to reference a little bit later on. And talking about Mary, she is more mother than queen. She recognized Mary is the queen of heaven and earth, but she has that maternal heart along with the heart of a queen. The heart of a queen is ideally the heart of a mother. And we're going to see, or as John Paul II talks about, that motherhood is the perfection of femininity, just as fatherhood is the perfection of masculinity, regardless of the vocation. Regardless if you're a, ma, a, a married person in the state of life of marriage, a consecrated virgin, a religious sister, all women are called to motherhood, to receive and to give herself to her children. And as a result, the children, because they know her as queen and mother, love her, trust her, respect her, know that they're safe, know that they're protected. And from her own dignity and confidence, instills confidence in them. Because she believes in them. She lifts them up. I think in my own life, of the maternal and queenly women that I know and trust. That's a great example. And I'm sure we can all think of women like that in our own lives. And so that's kind of my just general reflection. And I'm sure my original intention was almost to do a whole retreat on queenship, but on the plane right over here, I changed my mind. Um, so we'll see if it was a wise decision or not. Um, but what I want to do is, in taking these thoughts, which are almost kind of like little seeds, give them to you to reflect on and to particularly apply them to your own life. Because my argument is here is every single woman in here is called to be a queen. Every one of you, along with all the other archetypes. And, and so I, I want to be able to give, as I do when I give retreats, a little homework. Something for you to, to think about, to pray about between now and the next time we meet. And, and one of the exercises I'm going to give every single time is uh, sort of an iteration of this one here. I think it was Aristotle who talks about virtue, a great Greek philosopher. And he said, and I'm paraphrasing here, I may not be able to describe a certain virtue to you, but I know it when I see the virtuous person. I may not be able to tell you, this is what a virtuous person looks like, but I know it when I see it. Know it when I see it. And so this is the first part of the homework. You know women who are queens that exhibit the confidence, who know how to reign, who people reverence and respect. So I want you to think, like, Lord, who, who are some of these, these queens? It could be one of the sisters. It could be your own mom. It could be a friend. What are the qualities that you see? What are the virtues that these queenly women who stepped into this role exhibit. And from that, what can you learn from them? So again, here, this is not me teaching you this. I'm going to let women that you know who exhibit teach you this and to begin looking for this archetype in these women. We can also, as I said, look to Our Lady and certainly 
and we have some queenly saints, but I think one of the, the saints that I'd like to sort of point out, who I think really exhibited, is St. Therese. Her dad, Louis Mortin, St. Louis Mortin, called her his little queen. And throughout her life, Therese knew her identity as a beloved daughter. And Therese knew how to make decisions. Therese was a natural-born leader. And as novice mistress, she was confident. She knew what she was doing. So again, it doesn't have to be a woman with a crown. You can see it in the saints. And Therese, I think, is a great example of what that queenship looks like in a woman. And she died when she was less than 25 years old. And so it doesn't have to be something that you have to be old to, to, to lean into. You can have young women who are queens, and I know some myself. Second, and this again is going to be the second part of every piece of homework, once we think of like who are examples, ideally living, but possibly saints or those who have come before us. The second one is, is I want you to ask the Lord to illumine your heart. And say, Lord, what are the ways or what is stopping me from leaning into queenship in my own life? But what's stopping me? Is it fear? Is it insecurity? Is it that I don't know my own identity as a daughter? I don't know. Maybe y'all are all really leaning into it. But if there's something that's stopping you from grabbing the scepter, boop, putting the crown on your head, what is it? Lord, show me what it is and begin to heal that so that I can step into this. Everyone in here is called to be a queen. Everyone. It's not, oh, it's just for those ladies. They're really tall. They're called to be queens. No. This woman likes telling people what to do. She's called to be a queen. No. We're all going to exhibit in different ways. We're all called to it. And third and finally, try to give a scripture passage to meditate on. And as I referenced it, the one that I think we need to meditate on is John chapter 2. The writing of Cana. Because Mary here is embodying queenship. She notices the needs. She's paying attention to the people, the needs of, of, of the couple. They ran out of wine. And she's going to do something about it. She, 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 she cares for them. She wants them to be happy. So what does she do? She is going to talk to Jesus. Do something. Executes. Makes a decision. Do whatever he tells you. That's what a queen, how she acts. And she's, she's behind the scenes. She's not trying to draw attention to herself. But she's still acting as the queen. And Jesus, the king, is listening to her. Men will listen to and respect queens. They will. And so, askers reflect on this to get some deeper insights, but to intercede for you so that you can step into this role. So, being as that I don't want Queen's sister to cut my head off, I'm going to wrap this up so we can to bed. We're going to look at another archetype tomorrow morning, intimately connected to this one, uh, queenship, and uh, continue to just develop our reflections. Um, so hopefully this is, gives you something to think about, to pray about, here to try to really present a positive message uh, that we can 
have women step into their greatness. Born, you were born for greater things. Um, and to be able to live out this great vocation of the feminine genius. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, as now, and shall be, world without end. Amen.